This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Advanced Training Podcast. This episode was inspired by a conversation that I had with Rob Milianica. Now, Rob, he was just looking for a way to better himself. He's at Logan University right now in the College of Chiropractic. If you remember, he was the guy from episode number 54 who was a trainer for the Jets. And the guy is just constantly trying to make himself better. And what he was trying to do was work on developing programs himself. And I guess he must have thought, hey, why not ask a guy who's done it for about 20 years, get inside his head, and see if I can come up with any best practices. And Rob did such a good job prepping for the conversation that it turned into something that it really had me doing a lot of self-reflection. And I figured, why not take this information and share it with you guys in case you want to develop your own programs or you want to experiment with new exercises. And how do you do it? Now, a lot of the guys that I've trained, like Rob, they've gone on and, and, and really tried to advance in this field. Some have opened up their own programs. Some have become coaches. Some have worked for some uh, big establishments. And, and some just want to write their own programs for themselves. If you're in any of those categories... This episode is 100% for you. And really, as, as we get into this, and, and Rob did a great job. So the way, way I'm going to work this, this episode is I'm going to do it as like a, a Q&A to myself, but I'm using the questions that Rob asked. So Rob asked some questions. I absolutely went off on some tangents. I think they were necessary tangents. But I'm going to ask myself those questions from Rob, and then I'm going to answer them again. And again, just the, the premise of the conversation was, Coach, this is, he's asking me, how do you come up with the programs that you're coming up with and how does it fit into the overall goals of advanced training? Now, before we start, I have to make two very, very critical points for anybody. One, you're never going to have the perfect program. So do not stress over it. I've been making programs for 20 years. I've been constantly refining them. And I've never actually found the perfect one. While you're doing it, you think, man, this is perfect. And then you discover something new six months later and you say, I was an idiot. And I would beat myself up over it, saying, man, how come last year I didn't write that perfect program for these guys? But the, the answer is there is no perfect program. You have to keep evolving over and over and over again. There's always going to be a better way. So you can't stress out over it. Thing number two is, if you're, if you're in this for like your living, uh, your clients, they're not buying your program. They're buying you. They're buying your personality. They're buying the energy that you're bringing into it. They're buying how much you care about them and the effort you're putting into making them better. Again, so this ties back into don't stress out over creating the perfect program. You should create a really good program, and we're going to get into that, but it's never going to be 100% absolutely perfect. All right, so let's dive right into the questions. His first question was, how often do you evaluate new methods or research and adjust your training per programs? Now, <laughs> my, my simple answer to this is way too often, and it's a gift 
and a curse. So I'm constantly looking at new methods. I'm constantly trying to tinker, maybe make some minor adjustments to what we're doing, because like I said, there's always a better way. Now, I need to take a massive step back here. I said we went off some tangents. Well, I'm going to go in, off on a tangent right now. So I actually have an exercise repository. It's a list of over 1,900 lifts slash movements for the gym. It's stuff that I've been compiling over the last 20 years, from textbooks I've read to articles I've read from trusted sources online to conferences that I've been to to little snippets I get on social media. It's all this stuff that I've collected. And my goal was to be able to break this stuff up so I can insert those exercises into one of my exercise templates. So what I did was I broke the, all 1,900 of these things up by category, a class, a subclass, a resistance type, a difficulty. So for example, if I'm talking about a category, well, what is it? Is it a prehab movement? Is it an explosive movement? Is it a main upper body lift? If I'm talking about something like a resistance type, is it a barbell, a sandbag, a kettlebell, a dumbbell, a band? I don't know, is that a combination of the two? Uh, in terms of like classes and subclasses, maybe a subclass would be chaos or, or traditional. I had all these things broken up, and then I broke it up by body part. So maybe if I said a prehab, glutes, okay, now if I'm looking for a prehab thing for my glutes, I just put it inside of this directory, and I can find that thing. And I also broke it up by difficulty. So I'm like, a difficulty one is for a novice, difficulty five is for an expert. And then essentially, I can take those exercises, break it up in that manner, and then prescribe it into my workout based on the advancement of the athlete that I'm training. During the beginning of COVID, it was actually my mission to clean this thing up because it was messy and it was outdated, meaning messy like I had all these categories of stuff and it was I couldn't find things and it was stressing me out. Uh, I had redundancies or over overcomplicated terms to, to even try to find this stuff. And then I also had, and this is sickening, I had about 500 other exercises that I was keeping in other lists, not even that list, that didn't even make their way onto my massive list. And it was just a constant source of stress on me. So as I was creating new programs, I was working off of my exercise directory, working off these other lists, and I was like, oh my god, how do I keep track of what we did and didn't do, and it really just uh, made me sick. So during this process, of during it was one of my little mini-missions, I actually eliminated 500 exercises from my original directory. It was stuff that we didn't use anymore, It was uh, sometimes it was too dangerous, sometimes it added no value, stupid things like, I, in the beginning I was combining workouts that made absolutely no, no sense, like uh, why would I combine a lunge and a curl? There's no reason for that. Like, what what is the value of that? There's no value at all. Or back in the day, I had exercises where you'd round your lower back, things that we don't do anymore. So it, it, was, a, it was a pretty good process to clean up the garbage that we had. Now, this process, uh, I said it was pretty good, but it was both a gift and a curse. So inventory, by, you know, in and of itself, it's actually a form of waste. So this list represented, in my mind... A lot of it was waste. I cleaned up most of the waste, but it's still something that I need to manage. And if you don't manage your inventory properly, it adds clutter, and it adds confusion, and it adds stress. So for me, I had to clean this thing up and eliminate, eliminate, eliminate all the stuff that I didn't think we were ever going to use that didn't add value. All right? The other part of this curse was that it stressed me out. Okay, now, yeah, I eliminated 500 things. Uh, I added some stuff in. I still have about 19. I, I added as much in from my other list as I had deleted from the original list. So now I got 1,900 items. Now I'm stressed out. Well, how am I ever going to incorporate 1,900 items into these programs that I write? 
And I remember, you know, when I first started, I, I was thinking, and I was telling somebody else that I was working with, like, I have so much knowledge to share, and I have so many exercises to show these kids, but they're never going to see them all. And that stuff does stress me out. Like, you have this repository. How do you ever share it with the world? And it stressed me out that... <laughs> that I have all this stuff, no one's going to see it, and oh, by the way, this list is never even going to be complete, because as I add a new workout in, uh, so I'm going to learn something new. So this is going to be this never-ending vicious cycle. So it, it definitely stressed me out. But from the, the gift perspective, it was definitely therapeutic for me to go through this list and A, wipe out the stuff we don't need, B, simplify the stuff that we have, and then C, remind myself about how much stuff that I wasn't doing, that I could do. I've had stuff sitting in my garage for 10 years that I haven't used uh, a stability ball, sandbags, medicine balls. Like, I, I use them in certain ways, but not in the way... I'm, as I'm looking through the list, I'm like, wow, this is great. Like, I have a whole new <laughs> slash old repertoire of stuff that I can do. Like, I can incorporate things into my own training program if I'm writing for something for somebody else to just keep a new flavor and keep them interested while maintaining the core of what we're trying to do. Uh, it also made me stress less about constantly having to find new things. Like, I'm always looking at DeFranco's website, Cressy's articles, T-Nation articles. The guy, Dr. Joel Seedman, is coming up with all this crazy stuff, and I'd be like, I have to keep up with this. But I realized, if I don't get another new exercise in my databank for the next 20 years, I'm good. I got 2,000 things. I don't need to worry about it. So, stop freaking out. And I'd say the last and most important thing that happened with this is because I have my program template, the, now the way I've set up the database, it is very simple for me to write a program. I literally just say, okay, prehab, boom, what do I need? Glutes, boom, bang, I pick out this workout. And when, I don't, when I've done the workout, I put it uh, color green, and I know I've done it. And then when everything's done for green in the prehab glute section, then I clear out the color, and then I start all over again. So it's made me my time to write programs significantly less. I'd say that's actually cut my time in half. You should say take me like uh, two hours to put a program together. Now it's maybe an hour. That's it. Now the next steps of this process for me, and this is me just sharing with you, and I'm like, uh, I don't know, maybe 10% done, is I want to film every single movement. Yeah, there's 1,900 movements. Some of them are filmed. If you're looking at the advanced training website, there's a bunch of them up there right now. And then, after I film them, I want to add them to that website directory. So a lot of guys have found that valuable. So on this website directory, it's there right now. There's a bunch of stuff. It's broken up by body type or move, or body part or movement or prehab, and you can find things right now. I just want to be able to film every one of them. There's two reasons I haven't filmed it. Uh, well, maybe there's one major reason is that I need somebody to help me. We're in COVID, and my garage is not really conducive to filming all of this stuff. So I need like another person to stand there and actually film me, and I need a place big enough to actually do it. So if I have any volunteers, let me know. There's about uh, 1,700 movements that I want to do within the next, uh, I don't know how long i got left to live. Let's say 50 years. I want to get this stuff up on the good old internet. Okay, now this is a really important point, though, is that having a directory of exercises, it does not in any way, shape, or form mean that you're going to write a great program. It's just a bunch of exercises. It's like having a bunch of ingredients and thinking you're going to be a great chef, right? No, it's not the case. You can have a pizza, and you can have peanut butter. They're both awesome. You stick them together, and it's a disgusting meal. Right? So what you have to do as a coach is figure out how to take these exercises and put them into a program. And what I mean, it's even more complicated than that. It's you take these exercises, you put them into one workout, and then that workout needs to fit into a program. Right? It's like taking a sentence, putting it in a paragraph, 
and taking that paragraph and putting it into a story. And for me, writing a program is legitimately, it's an art. That's why we've joked around about the Mona Lisa. And I take so much pride in developing those sheets for our guys and they lose them or forget them. And I just make me sick to my stomach. Man, this, to me, this was artwork. This was me taking this thing, this, this beautiful combination of exercises, putting it into a workout for the day. That workout was put into a program for the month. And that program for the month was then meshed in with an eight-month program to help them meet their goals. So, again... Having this exercise directory is not enough, and I think this is where most people fail. They find these new fancy exercises, and they add stuff in, and they add stuff in. They never take anything out, and now they just got a bunch of exercises, and they really don't have a workout program, right? It's the same thing with football. You have a bunch of plays, but you don't have an identity as to who you are and what you're doing. It doesn't even mesh together, and your guys can't execute. They don't even know who they are or why they're executing the plays they are. It's the same exact thing with a workout. So... Back to this this question of, of Rob of like asking me, hey coach, how often do you evaluate new methods or research and adjust your training programs? It's it's all the time. I've had a temper uh, how much the of adjustments I do, but there is this I'm co- continually in small chunks evaluating new methods. Not nearly as much as I used to. When I first started in this game, I would read every single publication that came out. And I had to because I knew nothing. Now, I narrow it down to the sources that I think are critical. And I I look for stuff slowly. And I don't want to overwhelm myself because we already have this massive database of things. It's also important to know that when I... Let's talk about how I used to write programs. This is the evolution of uh, George Mahoney writing programs. When I first started, I would literally just use other people's programs. So, like, say I'm... uh, um, fresh out of college. I'm a week out of college. All right, fine. I'm going to do my college football coach's program. I'm just going to do what he did with our guys because I want to train like I'm still a college football player. Then I got my hands on Christian Thibodeau's, I think that's how you say his last name, the Black Book of Training Secrets. And that was, I took that program. I just took it and then I started using it with the first guys that I trained like Joe Derrida and Kyle Luciano. I started using it on those guys. And then, as I learned more stuff, and I'm reading DeFranco, and I'm reading Elite FTS, and I'm going to conferences, and I'm looking at Mike Roberts and stuff, now I'm taking their stuff, and I'm adding it into the programs that I already have. Right? So, uh, maybe if DeFranco says that you should use uh, fat grips on bench press, bang, I'm adding that in. Maybe Eric Cressy and Mike Robertson said you should do single leg work, bang, I'm adding that in. So now I'm taking their cool stuff, and I'm adding it into what I already have. And maybe maybe now it's it's... The problem is is that I'm not taking anything out, right? I'm adding stuff in. I'm not taking anything out. And then I read about uh, Smitty Diesel, and he's talking about chaos training. So I'm throwing that into the program where you're, uh, you know, curling with one arm and doing an, an overhead press with the other arm. Or you're, you know, you got this rubber band or this big band pulling on you while you're doing chin-ups. All awesome stuff. But I'm adding it in again and not taking it out. Or he had a... He called it enhanced density training. I called it five minutes of pain. That was the finisher. So this is, again, if you're thinking about the evolution, it started off with a college football program, and then it ended up with me just taking bits and pieces of the best stuff and adding it in. But I added so much in that I forgot about the basics. And you will see the programs that we have now. They're really focusing a lot more on the basics with with touches, you know, the touches of all the cool and interesting stuff. And, and there's other cool things that I think we did. So, like, if, if you had a program and you wanted guys to own it, things that we did was we said, look, uh, end of the workout, biceps, your choice. So now 90% was me writing this cookie-cutter prescription, but at the end they got to choose what bicep exercise they wanted to do. 
And some guys loved it. Some guys hated it. Coach, I'm not, I'm not coming here to make decisions on my own. I make decisions all the time, like Billy Blanco says. Well, okay, fine. If you don't have a choice, here's, here's my choice. But some guys like to actually have that choice. So over time, I realized I added too much stuff in. And what I started to do is reduce the volume of what we were doing. I realized our lifts were too long. Our guys were too burnt out. They started hating. They were too tired. They started hating me because we were too, spending too much time with each other. Uh, the hard part was, how do you know what to remove, right? You got all this stuff. It, it's painful. It's like throwing out an old T-shirt. Like, how do I know what to pull out of this program? And remember, there's that saying is, perfection is not when, the, when there's nothing left to add. It's when there's nothing left to take away. And while we reduced the volume of what we did, we then started adding in other things with respect to, like, say, complexity when it comes down to tempo. So maybe we're not going to add in more sets of bench press, but now we're going to change how we bench press. So, for example, maybe I'm going to do eccentric bench press, where I work on a four to six seconds uh, eccentric movement, on th- aka on the way down of that bench press, or OCOM, going four to six seconds down and four to six seconds up. Or maybe I do it real crazy, where I mix this set up, where maybe my first rep is eccentric, and then my second rep is an explosion. And my third rep has a pause, really just trying to make that mind-muscle connection as we're lifting. So this, again, if you're looking at where we are now, there was an evolution to what we did. There was an evolution to how it got to where it is now. We didn't just come out of the gate with these uh, crazy workouts. We really broke it down from where we started my college program, added stuff in, added too much in, took things away, focused on the basics, but then added a, a tinge of complexity to it with respect to tempo or chaos training. All right, so that's where we were. Now, if you listen to my last podcast, you know there is kind of like a, a blueprint for the way we go. So the way we're going right now is, is six days a week. So I'll break it down by day of the week. It, it's, it's two running sessions, three lifting sessions, and then one tough man session. So that's six days a week. So Monday's a sprint day. Tuesday's a lift day. Wednesday's an active recovery day. So that means it's an off day, So you better, just, but you can't do nothing. you got to do something. Mobility, recovery, something. Go for a long walk. It just means you're not going to be uh, stressing yourself out with a high-intensity workout. Thursday is another lift. Friday is a sprint session, which we're calling a football agility session. So we're not we're running around cones, but in a very specific way to the movements simulated in football, not the ridiculous drills that most football coaches do. I'm talking about football drills that will actually happen during a game. If you're gonna if you're not gonna do what we're doing uh, during a game, don't do it. And then uh, Saturday would be our Tough Man workout where we're pushing a prowler and pulling sleds. And then Sunday would be our third lift day. So that's the blueprint for how the one week would work as part of this program. Now, in terms of the blueprint for what goes on at a gym, we go three days a week. It's full body each day. I'm a big proponent of going with full body workouts as opposed to working splits. For me, I like... uh, repetition. I like frequency. I like quote-unquote smoothing the groove. And then I also believe that, you know, if you happen to miss one of those three days, it doesn't put you in a massive setback. So let's just say I did a chest once a week. If for whatever reason life gets in the way and I miss a chest workout, I don't go a full two weeks now of missing chest. If that happens in a full body split, well then, guess what? You only miss one day. You don't miss a two weeks of, of chest. Okay, so here's our blueprint. We begin our workouts with a, to basically wake up the central nervous system, which is jumping rope or hopping or something. You know, basically getting that body moving up and down. Then we do our warm-up. It's a dynamic warm-up. We'll then do some form of explosion paired with a core exercise. 
Right, so I'll jump or do some sort of a clean and then pair that up with some core stabilization exercise. Maybe it's a plank. From there, we're going to do big movements, maybe a, a squat and a lunge or a press and a row or a hinge and a deadlift. And you can pick one to three of those things. You can just do a squat. You can do a squat and a bench press. You can do a squat, bench press, and, and deadlift all in the same workout. doesn't matter. What does matter is the volume of stuff that you're doing. So if I'm going to do uh, six sets of squats, well, then that's too much for me to also add in a bench press and a hinge. But if I'm going to do two sets of squats, then I can also do two sets of bench press and two sets of hinges. So for me, I like to keep the entire workout to about 15 sets of real stuff. I'm excluding the prehab movements and the warm-up and that other stuff. What I'm talking about is you should not do more than 15 movements that include your explosions and your big movements. So try and keep all of those things to within 15 sets. So for me, pick one to three of those big movements. You'd have your uh, the squat lunge as one, one category, the press row as another category, and then the hinge, which would be like an RDL or a deadlift, as another category. And then lastly, I like to finish up the workouts with a finisher, right? So this finisher is going to be something, because our workouts are, some people would say they're easy because they're short, the, the finisher is a nice way to trick your body and your mind that you kick the crap out of yourself during the workout. So it could either be uh, five minutes of pain. It could be reps for time. Like, okay, you got two minutes. How many reps can you get? Or it could be time to hit reps. All right, you got to hit 100 reps. How fast can you do it? Or it could be some form of a competition. So what our guys are doing now, let's say on a tough man uh, workout, is they do a challenge after the workout's done. And then lastly you decompress. So that would be some stretching, some breathing, some hanging, hanging upside down, whatever you need to do to both decompress your spine and your mind. So that would be the blueprint for what's going on in the gym. Now guys say, Coach, you just talked about this uh, episode, in the last episode, a bigger, stronger, slower. You know, you shouldn't be doing certain things. That's true, right? So again, this blueprint would pretty much help you in any workouts that you would do in an advanced training format. That's the blueprint. Now you can tailor it to what you want. If you want hypertrophy, you tailor it one way. If you want to be fast, you tailor it another way. If you want to just be strong, you tailor it another way. So, again, this is just the blueprint to get you going. Okay, now back to Rob's original question. And I went off on many tangents, and this is the longest category of anything so far. So he said, how are you evaluating all this stuff? Well, for me, I do a mini evaluation every single day. So when we're finished with a workout, I, I think, how, how did this go today? Right? Did, was this, did this go as, as I had planned it? Because I visualize before it happens. When I write that workout down, I visualize how I think this is going to happen. Either on a field for a tough man session, or when we had kids in the gym, I would picture it in my mind how it would look, or if I'm just working out myself. Then I say, what can I have done better? Is there a way to have made this workout better? And usually the answer is yes. Were the guys engaged? Maybe it was a great workout, but these guys felt nothing from it. Because that, and to me, that is as important, if not more important, than the type of program that you're going to have. And are they making progress? So you can measure mini progress little by little, right? Like it's not like uh, did his bench press go up? Because I, maybe I don't know that because we haven't max tested. But did, did he did he hit the prescribed reps that he was supposed to hit? Did he beat the number of chin ups that he got last week? Right? Did he get more reps in that amount of time than he got the week before that? So that's how I'm doing those mini-evaluations every single day. Now, with respect to the program, the program is like, okay, this is bigger than just that exercise or that workout. It's 
how are we doing with the big stuff? So from a program perspective, when we were in the gym together, it was, are guys beating their PowerPoints? If their PowerPoints are going down, either they didn't show up or I did something wrong. And from a tough man perspective, is, are their tough man times going down? Are they getting better at the tough man? Again, if we are not getting better at those things, then all the little things we do didn't work. I know you're supposed to trust the process and not the, out- the outcome. That's the truth. The process should lead to the outcome. But if they're following the process and we don't have the outcome, then the process must not be right. And then I'm asking myself, if I'm learning something new, how do I add it into our existing program? Right? Does it fit into the advanced training program? Because sometimes there's some cool stuff, but there's just no home for it. Sometimes there's some cool stuff, and there is a place for it. Sometimes there's some cool stuff, but it really doesn't fit into our culture. It took me a very, very, very long time to get our guys to buy into prehab. I don't even know if they bought in now. But, you know, originally it did not fit into our culture. So I kind of had to sneak it in between lifts, between exercises, because originally guys didn't want to do it before or after the lift was done. So we found a way to slip it in. But you have to make sure that the guys are going to want to do, or you're going to have to make them want to do. You have to find a way to make them want to do what you're adding in. Right? You can't just tell them, you're going to do this and you're going to like it. That's not the way life works. You have to figure out a way to make them think that they wanted to do it in the first place. And my other rule is, if I'm adding something new, what am I taking away? Right? One in, one out. One in, one out. Okay, so that was the longest of the sections. Let's go back to the next question that Rob had. How do you start planning your training programs and how far in advance do you plan? So for me, I usually start from the end and work backwards. So basically, I'm asking myself, what is the end goal of this athlete? Maybe it's to win a tough man competition. Uh, when I was training college athletes, it was, I have to be ready for my college tests. Okay. Uh, when we have our own internal testing, it would be, I have to be ready for this PowerPoint test. So I figure out what their goal is, and then I say, okay, when is this test going to be? And then I work backwards. So how long do I have? And then I figure out what do I need to get that person there from where we are now and where they need to be. So essentially, how much time do we have, and how long is it going to take me to get there? And, and this is really how you start planning, in my opinion. If you start from the beginning and work there, sometimes you run out of time. So always start from the end and work backwards. Okay, the next question was, do you create programs around the equipment you have uh, or the equipment you need? So I create programs based on a bunch of things. For, with respect to equipment, I create programs based on the equipment that I have, the availability of the equipment that I have, the number of athletes that I have, and the level of proficiency that each, each athlete has. Now, there's a lot to that, right? There's a lot to that. So you got to consider this, right? What type of person are you training? So regardless of what equipment I have or don't, am I training a... For me, I've been very, very conscious about trying to train a specific type of person. It is either a college football player or someone who wants to train like a college football player. That's pretty much it, Right? We've had other people train with us, but essentially that's it. You're training like a college football player or someone who wants to be like a college football player. I have made it very, uh, I've made a concerted effort to not train anyone else. That's it. I've had many an offer. I don't want to do it. I don't enjoy doing it. Uh, I probably wouldn't be great at any uh, training any of those other people. I could probably give them good gen- generic training advice and help them become a better athlete but I wouldn't enjoy training someone for any other reason than to either A, be a college football player, or B, train like a college football player. Also considering how many people you have, right? The number of athletes. So 
the number of athletes is going to dictate a lot of things. Availability of equipment, availability of floor space, attention to detail. How much can you focus on those people? And then you also have to consider how do those people relate to each other because it's important. They don't have to be best friends, but they have to coexist in that gym. And if you have quiet uh, people that really need to think or people that want to wear headphones when they work out, they're not going to coexist well with a person who's screaming in their face and spitting on them while they're trying to bench press, right? So you really need to figure this out as you're creating your training program. You also need to think about what the training goals are. Now, I told you I made it easy for me because I'm not training this wide variety of clientele. I I don't care about 90% of the goals that they may have. What I care about is the goals that we have as our group. So in our group, uh, when we're we're in the gym, it's power points, bench press, deadlift, pull-ups, broad jump. Man, but I want to be able to uh, have a six-pack. I want to be 10% body fat. That's cool. We're going to measure that, and hopefully it is a consequence of what we're doing, but I'm not here to make you a a professional bodybuilder. Right? If you want to be a professional bodybuilder, you need to go train with somebody else. Now, if you have a wide variety of clients, that's a good idea. Find out what their goals are, meet their goals. For me, it's here's, here's advanced training. You want to be in this thing or you don't. And if you do, you're going to follow our protocol. Yeah, we're going to help you out in w- way more ways than just those PowerPoints. And there's going to be some nice consequences of trying to get those PowerPoints, these unintended consequences. But for us, you're kind of fitting into our world. And then the other question is, where are you training them? Because that means a lot. If it's a public gym, which where we trained out of, this questions you have to ask yourself. You may have all these great intentions, but imagine you, that your gym says, look, uh, you're not allowed to hang clean in this gym. Right? You have this whole program up, this 12-month program, and you got all this hang cleaning going on. Yeah, we don't allow any form of Olympic lifts in the gym. We don't allow any form of deadlifting in the gym. There's no chalk that are, is allowed. You can't throw a medicine ball. Uh, we, had, we got thrown out of the gym. Rob Mulligan got thrown out of one of our gyms <laughs> for throwing the, uh, the Smith Machine barbell. You know, we, we were doing this ballistic exercise where you're laying down and bench pressing, and they said you're going to ruin the gym. Threw them out. Right? So where are you training? And then you get to what access do you have to equipment? Because even if you have stuff, so our gym was notorious for having only one pull-up bar, even though it was a staple of what we did, well, if you got 20 guys in the gym and there's some guy doing uh, cable crossovers for six hours in the pull-up rack, well, then it's going to completely and totally ruin what you're trying to do. The other question you need to ask yourself is, what movements do you know how to teach and demonstrate effectively? It's, it's cool to see something on Instagram. And I'm not saying that you need to be a, let's take something simple, hang clean. I'm not saying you need to be an Olympic lifter, Olympic weightlifter to actually teach somebody how to do a hang clean. But you got to be pretty good at it, decent enough at it that you can teach them. Decent enough that you're not showing them a movement pattern that isn't correct. And not only demonstrate it, but to teach it effectively. So maybe you could, there are guys out there that know how to do, but they don't know how to explain or demonstrate or teach. Uh, You have to be able to teach that movement effectively to the people in the right way that they need to be taught. Some people need to be visual learners. Some need, people need a, like verbal direction. Some people need, you have to push their body into the right spot. So don't, I wouldn't implement movements that you don't know how to teach. The other part of this is how advanced are the people you're training, right? So if you're writing a program, some guys might not know how to do anything, right? You're not going to try and uh, program in a back squat or a one-arm chaos overhead lunge uh, with a band pull at your side if the person doesn't know how to to even do a bodyweight squat or a bodyweight reverse lunge. You need to figure out where those people are. And then the last thing that I would say with respect to a program is 
what is the right pace of progress? Because you got all this cool stuff. You got 1,900 workouts. How soon do you throw in the craziness? And how soon do they update uh, the complexity of what they're doing? So again, it's an art. It is an art form, whether you like it or not. So the next question Rob had was, how do you plan your programs around training small groups to large groups? So I touched on this before, but I'm going to dive into it a little deeper right now. So if you have small groups, for me, I like a training group in a gym of about six people. The reason I like that is that it doesn't give you issues with access to equipment. Uh, they can easily cycle through work where like, you can have three guys in one spot and three guys in another, and then they can flip. So I can have three guys on bench, three guys on deads, and then they just swap. Life's pretty easy. And also, you can more quickly add in complex movements because you can actually watch people. What I mean is, if you can watch people progress and see how they're progressing and make sure their technique is right, then you can more readily advance them to more complex stuff because you've coached them properly along the way. You can also prescribe and adjust lifts instantly as they're progressing. Right? I can watch every single set that you're doing, every rep that you're doing, and then I can know how fast or how slowly we need to progress you through what you're doing. With large training groups, where I'd say, like, you know, if you're a high school football coach, and we've been there, 25, 30 people in the gym, access is a problem, right? Access to anything, equipment, floor space, it's a problem. You have to simplify some of the lifts that you're going to do because there's no way to really coach all of those kids with that same level of attention that you would like to if there was only six people. You need to figure out, with 30 people, how you're going to cycle all these people through the equipment in your room. And... You know, and, and sometimes you have to go with more of a cookie cutter approach. Like, say, uh, you know, at the high school I was coaching at, we I'd hardly ever do this, but we gave percentages. Okay, do uh, 65% of your bench press max on speed bench for three sets of three, right? Because there's so many kids, it's almost impossible to prescribe them their own personalized workout. Now, in advanced training, and we're going to get into this a little bit, for the most part, every guy got a combination of a cookie cutter, so they all worked out together, work out with their own personalized touch to it because there was a personalized touch to each guy. Maybe they needed more prehab work in a certain area. Uh, their weights were all definitely personalized based on the progress that they were making. You know, maybe they had an injury and they needed to do something differently, but there was a little touch of personal, uh, personal touch to each workout that they had. If you have a group of 100 kids in your group, it's going to be hard to do. We got lucky at the high school I was coaching at because we had a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches that are in the program helping us out. They knew what they were doing, so we were able to take our group of 30 and to split it into five groups of six, but that was just us getting lucky. All right, next question. What are your non-negotiable movements that you incorporate into each session? So no matter what happens, I gave you our blueprint, but sometimes the guys can't do everything in the blueprint because they're late or they're hurt or whatever. No matter what, they have to do that body weight dynamic warm-up. They have to do prehab stuff, and they have to decompress, no matter what. Why? Because those things are enablers to everything else. You may not be able to hang clean. Fine. But you got to be able to do the dynamic warm-up. You may not be able to do a chaos uh, one-arm reverse overhead lunge, front to back, going backwards and forwards. Great. But you're going to have to do prehab work to give you the mobility and the stability to actually do those exercises. So for me, those are my non-negotiables. Okay, he said, the next question is, what is on your never-do list? Hmm. I love, I love not-to-do lists. I, of, I, love that you, I, I often think that you're more defined by what you don't do than what you do do. Okay, so the first one is <laughs> high reps of complex movements. I am not a big fan of high reps of things like cleans, deadlifts. They're complex technical movements. 
I don't think there should be high reps done. Now, do people do them effectively? Yes. But just in my world, I don't do that. For something like, like a clean, I want it to be explosive. When you get into a high rep situation with that, it's not explosive. Uh, I don't like to do high rep squats. Why? Because the guy's legs aren't able to move the next day. I feel like your legs need to be fresh. You need to be able to explode. And if you're doing sets of 20 squats, there's no value with that. So those things are out. The next thing is long distance jogging. Sorry, I've yet to be sold on the benefits of long-distance jogging for people who train with me. Again, football players or people who want to train like football players. I, I know people just want to do it. They want therapy, whatever. But more often than not, it leads to injury, and it eats up your muscle. And, ah, don't do it. Okay. The next thing, anything that rounds your lower back or twist it in an uncompromising way. So we don't do crunches. Uh, you know, any anything where I would, like, basically be turning around in my, like, I'm turning around in my car seat and looking in the back seat. No, none of that stuff. I don't want to hurt my lower back. We don't use the Smith machine for things like traditional bench press or squat. And the last thing would be uh, just a random one is upright rows. I know they've been a staple of some people's programs, but... We've just seen that they've caused more problems uh, than they've done good. So that's on my never-do list. Okay. How do you manage the goals of the program? Do you plan weekly goals, or are they more long-term? So I touched on this before. Again, I'll go a little bit deeper. But for the goals of the per program, everything's based on that long-term goal. So it's the PowerPoints, their college tests, the tough man. But then they're paired with mini-goals. We can't just say, here's the goal, we're going to achieve it in uh, eight months. Go. There's many goals along the way. With respect to tough man training, there's challenges. There's challenges that are done every week. So guys get to see how they compete, and we document it so they can see it. It's on paper, it's on the internet, they can see how they did for the last ten years, and are they getting better. Uh, if you're in the gym, a very simple, maybe it's simplistic, I don't know what the right way to say it is, maybe it's a simplistic way, is hitting your prescribed reps. So if you're using something called progressive overload, and there's many different forms of progressive overload, but let's say one of these forms is adding weight every week, well, if you keep hitting the weight that you, that's been added for your prescribed reps, well, then you are progressing. Right? you got to know if you're, if you're winning or losing. Another way is maximum repetitions. So maybe we say, uh, okay, we're going to do pull-ups, max repetitions. Are you getting more pull-ups than you've gotten? Or reps for time. Here's two minutes. Get as many inverted rows as you can in two minutes. Okay, cool. How many reps did you get? And then the other way I like to add this little edge in is uh, time for reps. All right, you got you to gotta hit 100 reps. How long is it going to take you to hit those 100 reps in whatever it is? Maybe it's push-ups. So those are little mini goals that hopefully and should absolutely help you with your long-term goals. If those mini goals are not helping you with your long-term goals, don't do them. Everything in your program should be based on those longer-term goals. They should all complement that goal. So if you're doing things that aren't helping that long-term goal, throw it out. So for me, everything we did in our gym was in some way, shape, or form meant to help you with your PowerPoints. And those PowerPoints were meant to, help, one way, shape, or form, help you play better football in college. That, that was really the goal, right? We, we did things the way we did them to make you a better football player. That's why broad jump was an important thing because we were looking at explosion. That's why pull-ups were an important thing because we were looking at relative body strength, right? We, we, we added in a lot of elements here. We didn't just do the traditional bench squat and deads because those things don't always make you a better football player. And that's why we counted the power points as a total. Maybe your bench went down slightly, but your broad jump went up. Well, then you're probably going to be a better football player. As long as those power points go up, you're a better athlete, 
you're in better shape. You're in better shape to play a football game. When I mean by better shape, I don't mean like endurance-wise. I mean stronger, faster, and a bit more athletic. Okay, next question. How do you progress an athlete who is surpassing their peers within the group setting? So this happens, right? We Again, remember I said I have a, you have a cookie-cutter type program with a personalized touch for each guy. So for me, ways to do that. First off, if these guys are smart, and some are and some aren't, there are always ways to make what you're doing more harder. All right? I don't even know that's wrong. <laughs> Sorry, not more harder. There's always ways to make everything you're doing harder. So for example, if I'm benching and the prescribed weight that uh, Coach Mahoney's gave me is too light and he's holding me back, man, he's stealing my gains, well, one thing you could do is change the tempo, right? Go a little slower on the way up and the slant, the way down. Or you can pause at the bottom. Or you could squeeze that bar so tight that it feels like a billion pounds, right? You, you can make it harder. Now, the other thing that we do is that we have these finishers, right? So if I say do uh, pull-ups, max reps, that well, that guy, if he can do 40, well, maybe he pushes himself to 42, leaving one or two in the tank, of course, and now he's progressed to a way past the guy who's only able to do five, or the reps for time, or the time for reps, whatever, whatever it is. So those are ways that those guys have control, they have control over how they can surpass their peers. Another thing that I do every now and again is you let them max out on their last set of, say, uh, say it's bench press. We say, okay, on this last set of bench press, the prescribed reps are five. If it feels easy, you can do eight, but you can't do any more than eight. And oh, by the way, you got to be able to, if you're going to do eight, you should be able to do ten. you got to leave one or two in the tank. So that gives them that control. The last thing that I would do in a gym for guys that are progressing is I would look at their prescription of weights, and I very seldom did this unless a guy uh, was really progressing fast, but I would change their progress, their weight progressions. Say it was supposed to be like uh, 225 on bench this week, 235 on bench next week, 245 on bench the week after that. If they're killing it, I would say, all right, look, let's, let's bump another 5 to 10 pounds on the workout next week. I wouldn't do it that much, but that way, that is one way that I would progress a guy who was going past what his, his peers were doing. Normally, it works the other way, where people are pretty much progressing at the same rate, and then someone isn't progressing at the same pace as them, what do I do that way? Which leads nicely into this next question. So, what the question is, how do you plan exercise re regressions for an athlete who may be injured or may not grasp the movement quick enough within the group setting? So, first and foremost, for me, it is critically important to keep all the athletes in our training group, working together. So maybe they're not doing the exact same exercise, but they are doing a similar movement. So coach, what the hell does that mean? What that means is, I want everybody at a certain point in that program, let's say it's it's day one, we're going to do overhead squats. I want everybody doing some form of squat that is a non-traditional squat. The more advanced guys, maybe I have them signed up for a chaos overhead squat with a barbell. That means they have a barbell in their hand, they have weight on one side, no weight on the other. All right, but now a new guy joins the program, he can't do that. Or maybe there's a guy in the program who hasn't even mastered the, uh, the overhead squat yet. So let's take both of those scenarios. Brand new guy, he can't do anything. Okay, he's going to squat, but he's going to hold a plate in front of his body instead of holding it overhead. He's got to work on getting that core stability, that upper middle back stability, before he can even think of holding something overhead and squat. Boom. But he's still with those guys squatting. And there's the other guy. He's gotten better, but he hasn't progressed to that chaos movement yet. Okay, you're just going to do a traditional good old barbell overhead squat. You'll have the same weight on both sides. So now they're doing stuff together. Now let's say somebody's injured. Right? Guy comes in, uh, he 
saw his girlfriend at a club the night before, and he punches his hand through a, a car window. Yep, happened multiple times at advanced training. He can't do a barbell one arm. He can't do a barbell overhead squat because he only has one arm. Okay, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna do a one arm dumbbell overhead squat. But essentially, you want those guys together. Not only does it fit into the artistry of your program, but you want these guys working out together. There's this. There's a beauty of these guys working out together. If a guy uh, broke his arm and he can't do bench press, he's going to do one-arm bench press. So there's always a way to work around either their injury status or their level of advancement with respect to the lifts, but to keep them together. All right, next question. What is your perfect workout duration and why? So for me, it's between 45 and 60 minutes. Why? First off, it keeps you fresh. I love it when a guy says that's it because now they're, they're wanting more for the next workout. It also, that limitation of time, by limiting your time, it forces you to not do too much, right? You, th there's a limit on my time, so I can't add in 100 workouts. I talked before about 15 different sets, so that, that'd be your max. Well, if I only have 45 minutes, it's really hard to get over 15 sets, right? And then also, from a scientific perspective, you don't want your cortisol level to spike up while you're working out. You want to get in, work out, go home, and you should really leave the gym feeling better than when you walked in. Okay, next question. What is the best time of day you feel you see the best results from the athletes that you train? And how do you change the program from the morning to the afternoon sessions? So, uh, I let's start with the second part of that. I Traditionally, when we had groups going in the morning and in the evenings, we did not change the workouts that much. The only change that I made between a morning group and a later in the evening group is we didn't squat as early in the program or in that lift uh, in the morning as we did in the evening sessions. In the morning, your spine is compressed from sleep, so we didn't want these guys rolling out of bed, rolling into to Atlas Gym, and then uh, max effort back, back squatting. So we kind of pushed that a little bit later into the workout. That was the biggest difference. Now for us, we worked out at extreme ends of the day because we worked out in a public gym, and if you went in outside of those extreme ends of the day, you had no room in that gym to do anything. Plus, we didn't want to anger the people in the gym. right? We were doing some crazy stuff. We had some... Uh, insane guys working out, yelling and screaming, so we really tried to be there at times when no one was there. I've always felt that the morning sessions were better than the, the evening sessions. The morning sessions have some risks, right? There's the risk that you're going to sleep in. Uh, there's a risk that you're definitely, you're not going to be at your peak in the morning. You're not. It takes a couple of hours for your, your body to, uh, to heat up to the right level, and you, again, we have that, that guy, maybe your spine is uh, compressed from sleeping, right? Okay, so those are the risks, but here's the great parts about the morning. It eliminates excuses. Although the only excuse is I couldn't get up, right? That's the only excuse. But all the other excuses are gone. I had a big lunch. I had a tough day at work. Uh, something happened in my house, blah, blah, blah. Nope, that's all gone. Now you're lifting in the morning, you go. The other thing is that when you lift early, it forces you to have a good night the night before, right? It's reinforcing a good habit. I can't go out and get wrecked the night before and then sleep late and go to the gym. No, I got to be up at 5, so it's going to stop me from going out and doing bad things the night before. And the other part of this is that, for me, at least it jump starts your day. You feel awesome. You leave that gym. You've already accomplished the hardest thing in your day. Pete Amorosi does a great job of talking about this, of like how he goes to work feeling like he's accomplished so much, so much before he's even gotten to work. And the day hasn't even started yet for most people. People are still struggling to sip that first cup of coffee, and this guy's already d d destroyed himself uh, doing a tough man challenge in five-degree weather. 
man, I love that. So that's for me, I am a get it up and get up early, get it done. And the first thing you do, get the most important thing of your day done first, which for me is that. All right. So if you're talking about Coach Mahoney's daily ritual, it's get up, weigh myself about 40 times, scream at my body fat uh, cal- calibrator for about uh, 50 times, walk the dog, go work out. Okay. Next question. Can you explain your warm-up progression and how that dictates movement progressions within the program? So this is a, a good question because I've heard a bunch of times that people will have specific warm-ups based on the workout that they're going to do. I'll say we have three types of warm-ups. We have one warm-up that we do. Uh, maybe there's four. There's four types of warm-ups. There's one warm-up we do before our sprint sessions, and it's really we're on the field and we're kind of just working on bo- just getting our body loose and working on foot placement and running mechanics before we sprint fast. That's one. There's one warm-up before the tough man. It is a slight variation of the sprint warm-up, but it's not. we cut some stuff out. Because in the sprint warm-up, there's guys that run with us more, and they're more focused on sprint mechanics. So we do more uh, complicated things to work on sprint mechanics. When we have the tough man, now we're up to almost 20 guys. Half of them have never seen half of the stuff we do, so I try and keep it simple. So we'll do some foot placement stuff, we'll just get the body going, we'll do some very short sprints, and then we go. The third warm-up, and I'll say this just as our dynamic bodyweight warm-up, it's a general warm-up. If we're talking specifically about the gym, I don't have one warm-up for bench day and one warm-up for squat day and one warm-up for explosion day because we don't do those days. For us, every day is an explosion day, a bench day, a deadlift day. So what we do for us is that we do things that generally, fo- is general, it focuses on activation, mobility, or stability of the main body parts, right? So we'll activate the glutes, we'll uh, mobilize the ankles and the hips, and then we'll work on some stability with the knee and the lower back. We do that same dynamic four-minute warm-up. We'll do that every workout that we have. There's another variation of that. Uh, It's the band warm-up. It is about two and a half minutes, and it is brutally awful, and that's just another variation. I won't get into it too much, but it doesn't matter what day. I just like to vary the warm-up because if guys do, it's it's either that warm-up, so it's the bodyweight warm-up, or it's the band warm-up, and we alternate it back and forth. Do one one day, one the next day. I've done that because I feel like guys will get bored with doing the same warm-up, and they'll go through the motions of the warm-up without actually thinking how critically important this warm-up is. To me, as I've said many a time, it's the most important part of your day, that warm-up. That warm-up is not only there for you to warm up, it's there for you to figure out how you're doing. So if you're an athlete training on your own or you're training in a group, you're going to say, whoa, my ankles are a little tight today. Uh, Ooh, I feel good today here. You know, ooh, my... My, uh, my lower back's a little tight. That warm-up's going to let you know where you stand in that workout. It's also a way, if there's a coach worth his salt, he should be laser-focused on how you're warming up. How's this kid's mindset? Does he look like he just drank a, a six-pack in the parking lot, right? Uh, does he look like he can't bend at his knees at all? what's going on here, right? Does he look like he's ready to fly through a wall? Did he just take uppers? So this is a really great time for the coach to see what they're doing. Now, the question that Rob, I think, was alluding to was, well, how do you change it for the type of workout that you're going to do? So we do that warm-up. It's short. It's four minutes. You notice it's not a a half-hour warm-up. We're in and we're out. The one for a tough man is like a three-minute warm-up. We're in and we're out, right? We want to get right to the workout. We don't want to be exhausted in your warm-up before you actually go work out. Then what we do during a workout is we will add in a prehab movement right before the actual thing that we're going to do. So, for example, 
to help with my deadlift, my prehab is going to be a glute activation movement, right? It's going to it's going to activate my glutes before I deadlift. To help with the squat, I'm going to work on ankle mobility right before I squat. To work on a clean, I'm going to work on a hip hinge right before I clean. So that is how we get into specificity when it comes to what we're doing in the gym, right? But we do it right before we do it. So the warm up is general, and then we do a spe specific prehab movement which could also be part of a warm-up. We just don't put it as part of the warm-up because then the warm-up would be 20 minutes. Uh, we put it right before the thing we're about to do. Okay, a couple of questions left. Next question. Why have you gone to two sets and five reps method? All right, so what I had done, uh, I don't know, before I got into this underground secrets of, of speed or underground secrets of faster running workout, I had been working with two sets of five. So those two sets of five, that would be in bench press, that would be in some sort of squat slash lunge, and that would be in some form of deadlift. It would be two sets of five. And the reason I was doing that was I was really working on the holy grail of strength. It was about strength. So what I was trying to do is do those same exercises three times a week, two sets of five, bench press, squat, deadlift. So all of them would be two times a week, two sets of five. Sorry, three times a week, two sets of five. The five reps let me work at 80% range of my maximum repetitions. Right, so that let me work in the, the strength category, and then the two sets help me from getting sore. If I did 10 sets of five, well now I'm going to be shot and I won't be able to bench three times a week. So that was for me. We've now moved this very recently to using three sets of three, and we've eliminated the squat slash lunge pattern. So now we're only doing bench press and deadlift. We're doing three sets of three of each at 90% of your maximum speed because now, sorry, of your maximum rep because now the focus is on running faster. And you we've talked about this before, you can listen to that last podcast, but uh you run faster when you get stronger. So the stronger you are, the faster you're gonna run. Alright, I'm oversimplifying that, but it's good enough for right now. Okay. The next question, explain your thoughts on getting away from barbells and moving toward controlled chaos. So uh what Rob is asking essentially is we did a I used to be a, a very big into barbells and then gradually shifted to being more into dumbbells. So for me, dumbbells first of all a barbell, there, there's no given a barbell. There's just, there's just a barbell. It's there. If you have some sort of injury or impingement or uh, you don't have the mobilization or stability that you need in a certain area, you could get injured using a barbell more easily than you would using a dumbbell. So if my if something wrong with my shoulders and I'm benching, I have to now conform to the 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 shape of that barbell. And my, my shoulders are really locked into that barbell's position. There's a risk with that. The dumbbell, you get to move it the way you want to move it. And it, it could be a little safer depending on what's going on with your body. Now, the other part of this is that the dumbbell allows you to do more, quote-unquote, chaotic movements. Chaos. You heard me say chaos a couple times. So what is chaos? Well, chaos is this middle ground. It's that missing link between your general physical preparation and your sports-specific preparation. So the general physical preparation is what you're doing in the gym. Regardless of what anyone is saying, the, the stuff you're doing in the gym, it seldom, if ever, translates over directly to what you're doing on a football field. Yeah, I am grabbing a guy with my arms and I'm pushing him away from me when I'm engaging an offensive lineman on a football field, but I'm not really bench pressing him. It's similar, but it's not the same. I've never squatted a guy on the field, never deadlifted a guy on the field. Uh, hand clean, it could potentially be similar, but it's not the same. So sports-specific training is practicing your sport. So for me, general physical preparation... This is me speaking. All it is is making you a much better athlete so you can then go play your sport better. That's why we do, uh, and, and the chaos movement is the, the gap between the two. 
So chaos adds this other level of complexity, this imbalances. It is intentional imbalances as to what you're doing. Either imbalances in your tempo, right? So uh, let, maybe let's, let's take a great example of this, right? Because everybody will think of uh, the chaos overhead squat. But let's take a chaos bench press. I am laying down and I am bench pressing. Imagine one arm is holding a dumbbell up straight. It's just holding it there. And then the other arm is bench pressing. Right? And it can be bench pressing at any pace you want, fast, slow, you can mix it up. But to me, that's a form of chaos because now you don't have two arms doing the same thing at the same time. And now you need complete mind-muscle connection. And it really, those, these are things that are closer to what happens on a field. Yeah, I can be uh, going to run a route, but also that DB can jam me. So that's why we would work on things like chaos reverse overhead lunges or chaos forward lunges, forward lunges, because now I have this barbell over my head and there's weight only on one side. I need to stabilize my body as I'm stepping, right? So it's again, it's you're not going to do that on a football field, but it is a closer gap to your sports-specific preparation than a generic uh, dumbbell or even just back uh, barbell put on your back, lunge. So th this is really why I like dumbbells. Also, with respect to uh, efficiency, if you're in a gym, you don't have to load dumbbells. Like, you don't have to load... You guys just couldn't do math. Ah, uh, what's a what's a 45, a 25, and a 10? Is that is that 225? It's like, oh, God. Like, just look at the dumbbell. It says 85 pounds. Let's go, right? Let's just go. It, it made life a lot easier. Okay. Uh, the one massive benefit of barbells, the obvious benefit, is that it allows for a heavier load. You know, you, the, how how much can you sumo squat a, a dumbbell? And I remember we we got in our gym where I worked, that was 150. But that's guys can definitely rock way more than that. You put a barbell on their back. I know it's not the same t level of workout, but the level of stress. You could put a band around your legs to make that dumbbell goblet squat better. But at a certain point, there is a limit. The other limit is a bench press. It's a nightmare. When you get the big weights, it's hard to get off the rack and onto your chest. You need, like, a really good spotter. All right, guys, so that wraps up Rob's list of questions. To tie this together for you, I'm going to give you guys some quick rules of thumb that you could use in any program that you're going to have or any program that you're developing. And some of these are going to be repeats. Some of these will be a little new, but they'll be quick, and then we're going to be out of here. First one, a good culture is better than a perfect program. Create that culture. Create a culture where guys are not only encouraging each other, but they're coaching each other. Number two, never let today ruin tomorrow. So, don't eat, don't train so hard today that you can't train tomorrow, and don't live your life away today that you can't train tomorrow. That includes drinking, staying out late, uh, doing something stupid today that's going to make you not be able to work out tomorrow. Number three, don't make a gym workout a cardio session. If you want to do cardio, do cardio. If you want to lift weights, lift weights. Enough of that. Number four, to progress, you need to use some form of progressive overload. That should be weight. It should be uh, reps for time. It should be time to hit reps. It can be a level of complexities with chains, bands, chaos movements, tempo. But you need some form of progressive overload. Number five, remember that your muscles are going to develop faster than your tendons. So for that reason, you should use some form of undulating periodization. You don't want to really peak out at your max muscle strength, and meanwhile, your, your tendons are all nice and weak. Okay, so for us, that means that we go up and wait a few weeks, then we go down for a week, and we go up and wait a few weeks, and we go down for a week. We're going up and down rather than just keep going up, 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 up. Number six, if you're following someone's program, stick with it for at least three months before you throw it in the garbage. Unless this thing is getting you hurt or you absolutely hate it, 
Don't say, I don't see results right now. I'm doing something else, because then you will be what's called a program hopper. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes a program hopper. Stick with the program. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, don't stress over what you're not doing. In this age of information overload, <laughs> before there was even an age of information overload, guys would say to me, Coach, how come we're not doing X? That's all they'd ever say is, why aren't we doing this workout? You know what workout's cool? We should do this one, right? And it was like, guys, A, focus on what we're doing right now. Be great at this. And B, not now doesn't mean not ever, right? Just because we're not doing it today doesn't mean we're never going to do it. We might hit it some point. We got this database of 1,900 workouts. At some point, this thing's going to get in there. All right? All right, people. This has been a long one. I'd like to thank Rob for putting those questions together. I'd like to thank you guys for sticking around this long on this podcast. I hope hope that it helps you develop your own program or programs for other people or maybe at least understand why I developed things the way that I did over the years. All right. Have a good rest of the day. Talk to you soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by the Nutrition Treatment Center. Are you feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak? Yet at the same time, you're training like you've never trained before? You're eating cleaner than you've ever eaten before? Well, maybe you're doing everything right, but there's something wrong inside your body that's counteracting all the good things that you're doing. It's kind of like driving down the Garden State Parkway with your foot on the gas pedal, but you're not getting anywhere because the parking brake's on. And in the world of nutrition, that parking brake could be food sensitivities. For example, you could be eating grilled chicken, but it's actually making you fat. Or you could have a micronutrient deficiency. If you're feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak, and you think you're doing everything right, go visit our friend Dr. Tom over at the Nutrition Treatment Center. If you tell them that Advanced Training referred you, he will take 25% off your first consultation fee. This man legitimately changed my life. He brought me from, and I'll just say the numbers, 19.5% body fat, a guy who trained all the time, down to 12% body fat. I lost weight while eating more, and I've never felt better, and I'm, I'm an old man now. I'm not a young man, and I've never felt better. This guy saved my life. I 100% believe in what he's done. Again, visit Dr. Tom over at the thenutritiontreatmentcenter.com. This podcast is brought to you by MicroSky, your one-stop shop for IT and computer services. Now, I've been a customer of these guys for years, and here's why. They make things easy. My computer had died. They came, picked up my computer, recovered all my data, and then set me up with a new computer in three days. Fully loaded, I just pressed the on button, and I'm ready to go. Made my life super, super easy. Now, they don't only specialize in computer repair. They also specialize in cloud backup, data recovery, cybersecurity, and IT support plans. Do not be like me. Do not wait until your computer dies to get in touch with these guys. Visit microskyms.com slash contact. Microsky, that's S-K-Y-M-S dot com slash contact. If you want a free month of cloud backup, make sure you put AT2020 in the referred by field in the contact form. Again, that's AT2020. Do not wait like I did. Contact them today.